Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks again for listening to the Cartech Garage, and welcome back. Uh, Max and I are here. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? So we got some good stuff. I mean, there's been good stuff. Uh, some good stuff. Um, so there's like been hot wings or something. Fresh I toast. I mean, I'm hungry, dude. Do like a wing. <laughs> yeah, this was the first thing I saw. You didn't even say hi yet. It was like I could go for a steak. I'm like, it's 7:30 in the morning. What do you mean you want a steak? That's the last thing. <laughs> But anyways, um, over the last few months, yeah, uh, you know, been doing a lot of different things, you know, both professionally, personally, um, a lot of changes in both of our lives. You know, Leslie has had a kid over the last year, has moved into a new house. I mean, there's just been a lot of moving parts, no pun intended, you know, the fact that we work on cars, um, but that does kind of drive us into our, our next little topic that something that's a pretty new experience and something that both of us really did not know much about. Um, but over the last few months, Wesley um, has actually started to transition to working at a transmission shop. Um, so I'm sure that's been kind of a neat thing. Um, we've been in automotive repair, so you'd think, you know, it's very much the similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going from, from one to the other was quite, the, well, I wouldn't say like it's a shock, but I've learned a lot in the past few months. Going from, from running a repair shop to running a transmission shop, it is totally different and a completely different pace. And you're, I'm, and the way you are, I'm sure as everybody knows, you know, you, you are very dialed in. You're somebody who really likes to understand everything about a process. Um, so I'm sure that was a big hurdle at first. And I know just from talking to you, I'm going, okay, who is this guy? He knows way more about transmissions than I thought a long time ago. Um, but just for that transition from going to that shop, you know, like the, the business model is a, a much different kind of way it's not necessarily the business is different but just the workflow uh, it is i mean the the workflow is different you know you're, you're certainly not going to um have the the same type of pace that you would at a general repair shop because the jobs simply take longer so the the word that we've been using is constipation right so you've got <laughs> you've got this transmission oh. ready to go back into a truck the transmission's totally rebuilt you've got you know, fresh rebuild kit, new clutches, band steels, and everything in it. It's ready to rock and roll, but you're waiting on a torque converter, right? The torque converter's three weeks out. And typically, you know, at a repair shop, those little parts that we would be replacing are pretty readily available because you don't dig that deep into something. We're not doing full engine rebuilds. Um, and people that do rebuild engines will understand the same type of constipation there too. But yes. most repair shops, we're doing quick in and out jobs, mm -hmm. you know, brakes, oil changes, shocks and struts, bulbs, fluid exchanges, things like that, where they're not too intrusive on some of the primary components on the car. Whereas with the transmission shop, we remove a primary component, disassemble that primary component, remanufacture it essentially, and then reinstall it into the vehicle. So, you know, it, it poses some different things as far as the numbers go, but we don't really get too far into the dynamics of how to run a business on this show. Yeah. Um, although they are pretty similar, I will say, to running a repair shop. You know, you can expect somewhat similar margins, somewhat similar hours turned, somewhat similar efficiency, uh, if not greater efficiency with skilled technicians. But it's been pretty neat with the knowledge that I've been able to gain and the experience going through it, you know, learning about different types of transmissions. I've always known, you know, the concept behind transmissions, and I've seen a lot of them apart uh, even prior to this, but I hadn't really been into the nitty gritty. So I knew about, you know, the difference between a hydraulic automatic and a continuously variable transmission, you know, single clutch manuals and, and, and dual clutch automatics and even single clutch automatics. Um, so I knew in concept how all those work, but the <laughs> most interesting one, and, and, and I think that this is kind of the, you know, the magic behind all of it, 
the hydraulic automatic transmission is what everybody thinks of when they think of automatic transmission. That's the one that has the valve body and a, and a transmission control module that delivers fluid pressure to, you know, to actuate different solenoids to compress different clutches and, and provide different gears. But that's the one that everybody typically seems to think that, you know, you have the input shaft, a bunch of magic, and then the output shaft. Whereas people seem in concept to understand a traditional manual transmission or understand a CVT because it's in concept, you know, something simple to visualize in the mind, whereas yeah. an automatic transmission does have a lot of moving components. <laughs> and I laugh because, you know, at my point, I understand the, the idea of them, how they work, you know, the, to the most basic, the external portion of the transmission. Um, so for me, it's always been voodoo, as I like to call it, <laughs> is what goes on in there. I understand it. I get it to a certain extent, but I've never had to pull it apart. So, I mean, I guess for you, the, the question is, you know, going from repair where you and I both are, it's still where I am. You know, when a car needs a brake job, you get the calipers, the pads, the rotors, you order the parts, you put them on. But with transmissions, it's a much different process because you're essentially pulling it apart and then seeing what's wrong with it, correct? Yeah, yeah we kind of perform an autopsy on it, if okay. you will, just like, you know, a, a failed engine would. Um, you have to disassemble everything and see what is broken because ultimately these parts are expensive. And if there's nothing wrong with them, a lot of times you'll want to reuse them just to save cost. Now, that being said, there are rebuild kits that you buy. There are replaceable components that should be replaced with every transmission rebuild. A lot of the friction components are recommended to be replaced, like all the steels and clutches, the, uh, the bands that actually clamp around the drums, um, all those that kind, kinds of things, as well as seals get replaced almost every time. Um, a lot of valves, end plug kits, you know, any little wearable items, those will get replaced. But primary components like uh, sprag gears, planetary gears, and, you know, the actual drums themselves, input and output shafts, all of those things, you know, those can be a couple hundred dollars to pop. And after you get them out of the parts washer, and, and truly the guys have to inspect them with a fine tooth comb and often a magnifying glass. Because any small, minute defect in, in the surfaces can cause failure down the road. A great example is a pump cover. A pump cover has all mm -hmm. these little channels in it, and it has to be perfectly milled smooth to create a, a sealing surface because it's a metal-on-metal -metal contact point. And if it's not perfect, it's not going to seal. And, and imperfections, I mean, you sometimes you can't even feel them if you run your fingernail across them. That's usually what I'll do is I'll run my fingernail across all the surfaces to see if I can pick up any imperfections in them. Um, there's a lot of different things that we have to pay attention to during this autopsy, so to speak, and we look for burnt clutches and burnt materials on it because okay. if anything has burnt, that typically means that enough force was not applied to that contact point or the friction material on that contact point has failed. So then you actually have to deduce what type of failure occurred, not just the autopsy, but then we also have to do the forensics behind it. That's kind of Thinking okay. like, okay, well, what was the actual failure? Oh, well, just because this clutch burned up doesn't mean this clutch failed. It means that the valve body probably didn't deliver enough pressure to that clutch set, and that's what caused it to actually slip. So where's the actual failure occurring? So that's why we have to perform all that. And that's it. It's just fascinating hearing all that because that's what I've said. I'm like, I need to get down there one day just because I would be a kid in a candy store, just excited to ask questions to everybody. Yeah. Everyone probably would hate me by like, 9 a.m. Um, <laughs> oh, they, they did to me, too. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you're just like, what's this? What's that? Yeah. Where's this go? What's yeah. that? What are you doing here? There's a way that I can now regurgitate all this because I asked all of that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the neat part, you know, about it is is just 
the way things are done, um, you know, a lot of us, we're not engine builders at most of our other shops. We're not transmission rebuilders. So as far as, as that realm, you know, we just kind of removed and replaced, bought a remanufactured unit that somebody had already done all the work that you talked about. Um, so for me, and I'm sure for you too, that's just exciting, like actually kind of going through, digging through what, what was the problem? What failed? Why did it fail? What do we need to replace? Because yep. um, I know there's some instances that I've heard you talk about it a little bit, but like you'll do some upgrades to transmissions too, if yep. I remember correctly. Yeah, absolutely. You can use high energy bands with heavier clamping forces. Um, you can put in valve kits that actually restrict the opening size of the valves to deliver higher line pressure for firmer shifts. Okay. Um, you can also uh, install billet back torque converters that are less susceptible to breakage. You can install stalls, uh, which will allow the, the spinning fashion to ramp up higher so you can accelerate hard out of the line. And you don't actually have to wait for the torque converter to build up fluid pressure. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of different things that you can input into an automatic transmission to increase the performance. And that's what they used to do for years. And that's kind of neat because in the transmission rebuilding world with all these drag racers and everything, you still get to see some of that skunk works knowledge break through sure. where it's like, it's just a little bit of know-how it may not be in a book anywhere. Yeah. Well, nowadays it is, but it didn't used to be, but you know, it, ultimately they don't need the book for it. They, they know what to do with it. And that's, that's really neat to see that nuanced fashion of performance within the transmission world. Now, ultimately primarily at, at pro transmission, the business's name is we do OE quality or better Okay. Transmission rebuilds. So that means we're using all OE components or upgraded components for them, but all in an original equipment faction. That means no operation will change from normal factory operation unless it's requested by a customer for, you know, racing application, in which of course the warranty is totally different. You yes. don't get our you don't get our three year thirty six thousand mile warranty going a quarter mile at yeah, a time. You know right? what they're doing with yeah. it, what they're trying to achieve. Exactly. Like, I don't know what the case just split in half. Fuel well, economy and reliability are not two of those things on that list in that application yeah you're like hmm are you sure that that this car didn't have a 427 in it when this thing broke <laughs> no it's a four-cylinder i don't know yeah, what you're like, talking I don't about. Know. like it's not even hooked up dude <laughs> you just dropped it in the engine bay and towed it in <laughs> um, now i guess with it uh, one of the questions i had so i mean a lot of what we do in and repair you know you'll get a lot of tsbs that are updated parts you know changes is that something during the rebuilding process that, okay, we know this is a failure that you guys almost do like basically TSBs or they call them something different? Well, there are technical service bulletins on them. So you are correct in that. Now, that being said, but like the in the head, exactly. Unquote, There's TSPs. a lot that's not in the literature, right? Like you can read the, the ATRA and ATSG books. Uh, ATRA is Automatic Transmission Rebuilders Association. Okay. ATSG is Automatic Transmission Service Group, and both of them, both of those companies, have wonderful literature, um, you know, explaining common problems, common failure points, good rebuilding practices to use. But not everything's in there ultimately. So, you know, like on a, let's say, like on a on a four T sixty, right? Mm -hmm. Or let, let's say on a like let's change it up. So, uh, let's say a sixty two TE. The sixty two TE is the six speed front-wheel drive transmission that comes in the Grand Caravan in the Chrysler okay. Town & Country. Pretty common. On a standard rebuild table, you run through all the little things, and it, it lists out the kit and the converter and all the common failure points. However, the 3-4 reverse drum commonly cracks on those. Huh. That's not necessarily anywhere in, in most of the literature, but you just have to pay attention to it, and it's a very minor fracture that happens, but it'll cause catastrophic failure down the road. So there are a lot of little things that you have to keep in mind, like pattern failures, like we always talked about. We always talk about pattern failures mm -hmm. in the automotive world. Like when I have 
a Chevy Cruze that's coming in leaking oil. <laughs> I can almost guarantee yep. you that it's going to be the valve cover or the turbo inlet line almost every time. Just because I see it, it's a very common problem due to an inherent design flaw or maybe just something that's underperforming. But that the same rule applies in almost every type of machine and transmissions of course are no different. That's, I mean, there's just a lot to it. So I'm, I guess like this is more or less kind of an interview of asking you questions because we really haven't sat down and talked about it a whole lot. Um, with you kind of going into this world, what would you say was kind of the hardest part of, of going and basically kind of a being green again, if you will, and, and learning transmissions? I mean, I know you, you're a sponge, you love absorbing information, but like, what would you say is, is the hardest part or even something you may still kind of struggle with? Because I know you won't admit that you're struggling with anything, but <laughs> I am man. But the one thing I guess, you know, every day that you're really striving to learn more and more about is it, you know, each individual transmission and learning all the different oddities about all of them. Um, or is I, it- I would say that, I mean, there, there's only, at least there's less transmissions than there are car parts. Okay. <laughs> but there's a lot of parts within those transmissions. I think right now it is accurately remembering why these transmissions fail okay. and the common um, and the common symptoms that they're exhibiting to kind of allude to what failures occurred. Okay. So understanding it better as to why it failed. Right now I know what the parts are, I know what all the nomenclature is, I, I understand what you know what a drum is, what this, what that is. I know most of the numbers, like I know, you know, 4R100, 4R110, or 5R110, 6R140, and all the transmission numbers for all these different transmissions. But as of now, I can't tell you what goes wrong on every single one. Okay. Whereas with cars, you know, I... I, You have a huge, vast information. Yeah, but that just comes from experience experience. Because, you know, working around cars for over a decade, like in the repair fashion... You know, I can under I can tell you exactly what a noise is, exactly what almost any suspension noise is, any ticking engine running noise is based off of what engine it is. Now, with a transmission, I can just tell you, yep, that's a transmission. <laughs> but I can't tell you, oh yeah, that's actually scarring on the input shaft. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you that yet. I can on a couple transmissions, but not all of them. So I still have much <laughs> to learn. So I guess I mean one of the other questions that I really have is as far as like diagnostics, you know, as far as my experience goes, you know, got a bad input shaft sensor, output shaft sensor, it's not reading correctly. That's easy to kind of dig through and diagnose, but as far as you know, looking for shifting issues or transmission cuz I'm sure if a transmission just doesn't work, you're like, "Hey, we just need to pull it apart." But as far as, you know, if I brought my car in and said, "Hey, I'm having a really really rough shift pattern. It seems three, four, just it's really, really rough. It's really abrupt. It kind of slams into gear. What is kind of the, the avenue of diagnostics on something like that? Well, as you would imagine, it all starts with road testing it. Well, reading the codes first, determining if the vehicle is even going to move. And then if it does, <laughs> road testing it while monitoring all the data. What we're going to do is monitor transmission input and output speed. We're going to monitor torque converter lockup. Okay. We're going to monitor torque converter slip RPM, and we're also going to look at shift times and line pressure. Okay. All those things can play a factor. So as you move through the diagnostic process on a transmission, you can only find out so much until it all comes apart. So let's say that it comes in and it has you know, uh, codes for shift irregularities, and it also has um, you know, input and output speed correlation codes, something simple, you know, typically indicating a slippage. Um, 
Now, if we get into that transmission and we pull the pan, that's the next step. You got to pull the pan and see how the fluid condition is. Let's say you have severe slippage occur. You pull the pan and the fluid looks clean as can be, right? That's totally different than pulling the pan upon slippage and seeing it dirty. Mm -hmm. Every transmission pan has a big magnet in the bottom of it that collects metallic debris. And and over time, every one of those magnets is going to collect a little bit because there's still friction material that's going to shed some, just like brakes. But it's submerged in fluid, so it's a much slower rate. If you see a bunch of metal on the fluid, that typically indicates that something is actually shearing apart, and that is the reason for the slippage, that it is basically eroded away the friction material, and that's what's caused the slippage. Something's coming apart in the transmission. If you're having severe slippage and you pull the pan off and it's completely clean, then you probably have an issue with the valve body not delivering pressure to something, but nothing's actually mechanically coming apart. So as you continue to disassemble that transmission, if the fluid's dirty, you have to very carefully look for any metal that's missing, right? But if the fluid's totally clean, then you have to go do a full valve body solenoid test instead. So you might be able to fix the whole problem by just pulling the valve body and not having to authorize an entire transmission rebuild. So there are those diagnostic steps, but then it goes even a step further. If there are multiple codes in the system and we can find all these little problems, like let's say that, okay, these clutches are obviously burnt. There's obviously metal missing because this pump is known to go bad. So the pump shed a little bit of metal into the system and that's caused everything to break itself. We've got all the known damaged components replaced. We get everything back together, find out that there's still codes in the system for something related to the valve body. So there you go. It's a twofold issue. Yeah. But without having read the codes before and after and obviously testing the solenoids within the valve body, you might be reassembling that transmission and it's going to fail 10,000 miles down the road. But does that make sense? So I guess the, I mean, the other one is, so if I brought my truck in, you know, I've got an issue with the transmission, um, you know, I bring it in, we kind of both know, hey, you know, I've, I've yeah. been around them long enough to know, hey, it's failing. So what would be kind of like the authorization process? If you will? I know if like I'm looking at a check engine light, we have a set rate. We kind of go through, dig into it. If it does require disassembly, more into it, we authorize more time. But where you're getting to a case where it's going to need a transmission rebuild, but you're not 100% sure, what is kind of that process? Well, it, it's step-by-step, as you would imagine. Just as Olimers does it, Pro Transmission kind okay. of forms the same way. Um, again, you know, we, we're here to do the right thing and help people. So I've got no problem coming out there with a scan tool and just scanning the codes and letting you know what codes in it. I won't charge you for, you know, a two or three minute code scan. Now, if we've got to get it up on the rack, inspect the fluid, get it up to operating temperature, road test it while monitoring all the data and actually spend a couple hours with it, that's 125 plus tax, just as it would be at, at most other diagnostic shops. Mm-hmm. Now, once we get to the point of pulling the pan, it's that cost, whatever okay. that whatever that entails. But we try to head it out. I don't want to pull the pan and charge you that cost for no reason. If if we road test it and it's slipping very badly and we pull the dipstick and it's filthy black, I'm like, <laughs> okay, we basically need to authorize a full rebuild with all new parts, new transmission control module if it's your model on a 6L80 yeah. because if the fluid's dirty, that means metal's probably gotten into the, ten- into the transmission control module. Um, unless you have a 4L60. I think I have a 4L60. Yeah, it's a four-speed. Okay. Yeah, so that wouldn't be quite the same thing, but you'd still need new torque converter and all new friction material and a new kit. Um, so if we know that the fluid's burnt, we know that it's slipping or we know that it's banging around, then we can basically assume close to worst-case scenario, bid you out on that, and then whatever we can save within that process, it's only good news from there. Like, hey, we were able to save these parts. We found no defects in these, so we were able to reuse those. Um, okay. But generally, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, I don't want to call it cookie cutter, 
but it would just be like an engine rebuild, right? You know, you're going to need, you know, if something catastrophic happens, you know, you're going to need to, you know, bore out the cylinders and make sure they're honed properly. And you know, you're going to need, you're going to need new pistons, new rods, and you have to at least inspect and, and make sure the crank's balanced. But sometimes you might need a new crankshaft. Yeah. Sometimes the block isn't good, just like sometimes the transmission case isn't good. Now, luckily, transmissions usually don't get quite as expensive as performance engines do, but yeah. they can still get very close. Okay. So that's pretty. So something that you know, you guys drop the pan on my truck, find out, hey, it doesn't need a rebuild. Is that something that's kind of rolled into the cost, or is that, I mean, just kind of like the, the yeah, diagnostic? Yeah, because if we have to drop the pan, you know, that's kind of going to be part of the disassembly process because we're going to have to do that. It's either Anyways. we do it under. It's either we drop the pan while it's in the truck, or we take the pan mm-hmm. off while it's on a rebuild table. Yeah. You know, because traditionally we'll just take everything out, we'll roll it on a cart into the into the room, heave it over onto a rebuild table, and then one of the rebuilders will begin the disassembly process. That way, they can be there for the whole disassembly, and they can see it start to finish. So, is this where I guess the term that you used earlier that I kind of laughed at was constipation comes into play? Yeah. So I, I bring my truck in. You guys tell me, hey, worst case scenario, this is what it's going to be. We're going to rebuild it. Is that something you kind of just say, hey, all the parts are available. Let's leave it on a lift? On yours, yes, okay. but not on everyone. You know, like if you have a 6F35 transmission that's commonly found in Ford Escapes, Ford yes. Fusions, any six-speed smaller four-cylinder or light six-cylinder Ford, and, and including the little turbo ones, as long as it's not a dual clutch, um, seven times out of ten, I can have that thing rebuilt in a week. The other three times, it has a special torque converter. That is three <laughs> weeks out. Gotcha. <laughs> and if you want your dual clutch transmission fixed on your Ford, great. If you need a clutch, I can get it done in a day. If you need a transmission control module, which about 40% yes. of them do, <laughs> yep. they have, and, and I, I actually had a Ford parts representative use this term. They are on galactic back order. Galactic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's never the answer you want to get either. <laughs> no. So it, it's probably like three months to get one. Yeah. If At least he was honest with you. Galactic backorder. <laughs> yeah, that one stuck with me. Oh, I, I can only imagine. Um, so I guess, I mean, out of all of this, I'm sure as most listeners want to hear, what's the worst transmission in the car so far, thus far in your experience? Oh. I know there's a lot of them, but what would you definitely say absolutely not stay away with it, especially if you're buying like a used car? Well, see, the hard part too is sometimes... The worst transmission comes in the best car. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think it's that's what everybody's because looking it's, it's for. It's a little bit of a hodgepodge of mix and match. Like, for instance, for trucks, let's say this. Yeah. If I were to buy a new truck, I'd love to get a GM because I really trust the LS architecture, although the displacement on demand failures have mm. been more common. But I also just love the rest of the truck. I think the rest of the truck performs well. But that 6L80 is going to fail. Yep. In between a hundred, in between eighty or maybe even less, eighty and hundred twenty thousand miles, it's probably going to fail, especially if it's used for anything more than pedaling back and forth to the grocery store. That doesn't make it a bad vehicle, but the transmission will fail. So, does that make it a bad transmission? Not necessarily, but you know, in the case of I asked that question because you know, if I was looking for a used truck, that's probably about the price range, you know, based on mileage and age. I'd probably be looking for something like that if I'm trying to find a reasonably budgeted you know, truck that I wanted to buy. So it's some good insight of like, Hey, you have yeah. a little extra penny or make yeah. sure to check you, the you vehicle. You want to budget sure. about 48 to $5,200 on a rebuild on one of those. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's half a truck. So that's what I mean. So make um, sure you save a little bit of that down now, payment. <laughs> now that being said, that being said, a lot of these have common failures. If we're talking about the transmissions that I see fail with the least amount of mileage, mm-hmm. okay, then there's two that come to mind. The six F 35 from Ford, that Absolutely. is a very failure-prone transmission. 
done quite a few of those. Exactly. And I would say the dual clutch, but that transmission actually doesn't fail very often. It's always the clutch motors and the clutch and then the TCM that fails. So the transmission on the dual clutch Ford is actually a decent trans because it's a manual basically. Yeah. But then the clutch motors fail. Uh, I'll, I'll get to more of that later. But the next, <laughs> the next least reliable transmission is going to be the light duty Nissan CVT. I've seen those fail commonly 40 to 60,000 miles. And, and luckily they've done a lot of extended warranties on them, but we are installing a lot of remanufactured or new from Nissan CVTs. It's quite frankly with CVTs, is there just not like, I know not a lot of people can rebuild them nor they do. Is there, what's the case with that? Why is that? So that CVTs, you just can't really rebuild as much. A lot of parts are not available a la carte. And okay. also they Nissan has not released a lot of detailed remanufacturing instructions on those. Um, so not many people are really willing to tackle them and they've priced it competitively enough to where it's almost, it's a lot easier. In fact, just to buy one from them. And it's smart that they did that because if it was too expensive, then people would have spent the money to train and then spent the money to, to tool themselves to rebuild them and then went ahead and, and got it figured out. But they've priced them competitively enough to where it's much cheaper than sending somebody out to a class and, and having them do continued training and buying all the tooling equipment to actually rebuild one just to buy one and put it in. So they so, are. They at least were smart enough that they're not completely squeezing your wallet. Yeah, they th- those are those are normally under five grand. Okay, for a brand new unit. Right? Those happen often too. I mean, they, they do. Unfortunately, I've seen too many they of do. them. Now back to that dual clutch function, yes. right? So that's and basically I'm, just a. And I'm sure one of these days, with all your experience, we'll we'll be able to kind of dive into some of these transmissions too, because I know you know we do a lot of engine showcases. So now you'll have a great opportunity to do some transmission showcases. And see, see, yeah, we can do the the greatest engine and transmission pair ups. There we go. I like it. I like yeah. it. Look, yep. we're we're getting ideas as we're going. Cummins Diesel with an Allison, baby. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. The dream team, right? <laughs> the dream. Team. Oh, they'd be like Tyson and Ali on the same side, man. <laughs> oh, that is great. That is great. But with these dual clutches, yes. um, the transmission rarely fails. It's basically a, a manual transmission, um, but it has a. a, a a, it actually is a like a, a dual mass clutch. It's not actually a traditional dual clutch where the gears are staggered on it. All the gears, all five gears or six gears or whatever, run through the same clutch. Okay. Um, but it's a dual mass clutch, and it has those two clutch discs in it to ease the engagement. So that way it engages one soft clutch and one hard, hard clutch. That's why you get that judder is that those clutches are okay. trying to engage simultaneously. Um, they're, they're providing enough slippage to... I think that it's making an easy takeoff. That's why a lot of those CV or those dual clutches kind of sure. shake a little bit. Like if you guys have a yes. Ford Focus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you go to accelerate a little bit, it kind of jiggles like you're driving around a bowl of Jello. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to explain it. Yeah, but most commonly the the clutches fail on those, the TCMs, and they also have clutch motors. So there's okay. three motors on this transmission. That do the cl- that do the gears, and then two motors that do the clutch. So there's five motors on this transmission in total. There is a clutch open motor, a clutch close motor, and then there are a, uh, a three motors that go one, two, two, three, and four, five. Or sorry, uh, from one to two, two to three, three to four, and then there's a, a lockup um, that that provides the overdrive gear. Okay. But there's five motors in total. And these are all three-phase motors, so they just have power, ground, and control. And as you know, those DC motors take a lot of current, mm-hmm. a lot of current to drive them, especially when they're, when they're mating to the transmission and, and moving things. So those motors often go out just due to heat. 
Now, the other thing is the current that those motors draw provides a lot of other issues because that puts a lot of undue stress on the electrical system. I've even seen a very recent instance where one of the uh, clutch control motor, or sorry, not the clutch control motors, but the, um, the uh, shift B, the middle motor, went bad, and it was drawing high amperage, and it actually depleted the battery, and it developed high corrosion on the negative battery cable. So we got the clutch motor installed, but still had communication issues. We had to put a new battery in a new negative battery cable in, and that fixed the entire problem. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, we've, so we found some weird ones. We're still in the process. I wouldn't say trial and error anymore with mm. those transmissions, but um, I, I've seen about 10 of them now, and I thought initially that it was always going to be, oh, it all needs a clutch, it yep. all needs a clutch, it all needs a clutch. That's not the case. Surprisingly enough, that is not the case. Those, right. those actually fail in a lot of different ways, but it's very rarely the actual transmission. Which is, is pretty neat. And I know there's certain cases like those, you know, for a while when we really first started seeing them, most of them were under warranty at the dealership. So it was something right. that you just kind of, hey, it's under warranty. They're going to take care of you for free. You know, go there. And now to the point that they're old enough that you're starting to see them. Because I'm sure you don't see too many, like, brand new transmissions that have failures. They all go to the dealership. Correct. Correct. So that, that that's kind of one of the things that you're you're a few years behind in that case. I guess the other big question I have that I don't know if I want to ask you, I'm a little scared, um, but like electric vehicles, I'm sure you guys really aren't doing too much of them, but mm -hmm. I'm well, those don't really have, well, as of right now, they don't have any traditional transmissions that would ever be serviced really. Okay. Um, now that being said, I think that they may, and, and I'm not the engineer building these things, <laughs> keep in mind. This is more speculation. However, you can utilize a transmission to aid different or variable speeds um, in an electric vehicle. Like you could utilize a CBT in an electric vehicle. That way you don't have to utilize the motor as much. Okay. Right? Yeah. But I think a lot of this stuff is going to end up being integrated. Like they're going to have powertrain packages that have some type of transmission built onto mm -hmm. the motor itself. Um, at least that's where I see it going. Because right now it's pretty much, it's not really a transmission. They're just motors in them. So it's it's something I asked the question. I kind of knew the answer to, but just for anybody that needed some clarification, it's not like a traditional car where you've yeah, got this you're, you're not electric gonna have, motor and a transmission yeah, attached to yeah, it. Yeah, you're not going to have the bell housing and all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> you're not going to be putting <laughs> torque converters in, a, in an electric vehicle. Exactly. <laughs> Although I'd, I'd love to see a Tesla made it up to a 4L80. That know? would be kind of cool. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. <laughs> it would be the worst <laughs> worst Tesla ever. It would, it would probably just shatter it. I mean, <laughs> Truly, like if, if you were to, to engage it abruptly, it would probably just break it. I'd probably be really good for business, though. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a positive, right? No, not if I have to warranty it. <laughs> that is true. Oh, you get a taillight warranty. As soon as you're off the, I can't see your taillights anymore, no warranty. <laughs> yeah, let me push you out of the lot. Start it up after. Oh, you'll just have people burning out as soon as they pull off the parking lot. Hey, I'm back. I never left. Oh, I never left. But no, oh, that, goodness. that's really neat and, and super insightful. And I'm excited for you because I know we're, we're both in the same. We love learning these things and differences. And, um, you know, I just wanted to pick your brain about it because, one, you and I really haven't talked about it. And number two, you know, I'm sure this is extremely insightful for a lot of people um, of what goes on and, and the little differences because it's just like going to a, a doctor for your arm versus, you know, an internal issue that you go to specialists for each thing. Exactly. Um, that's a, that's a, I, I like that you said that because I actually use that same analogy 
another time. Like one person can't know everything about every single little tiny component in the automobile. I mean, you can, but everybody within the business can't. Yeah, you're not going to be the best. You're going to be average at everything. Yeah, it's it's a jack of all, master of none situation, very much so. Correct. And even the same way we have in repair, you know, I have some guys that are just amazing and electrical, but when you ask them to pull a transmission or an engine, that's not their cup of tea. They can diagnose why, why it's broken, but that that's just not where they, they shine. They shine at understanding why it's failed, how it's failed, and somebody else is much better at pulling the engine, doing all that, all the yeah. different parts and putting it together. And there's so much information. It, just as you know, especially with how quickly everything you know gets replaced nowadays, you can work in an industry for 10 years and still not know everything about it. Correct. Now, you, know, you only have so much time to live, and – they say that, you know, it probably takes a decade to really become an expert in anything anyways. So, yeah. you know, you, you can kind of stagger it up, but you can't learn it all at once. No. And you're very right. And taking it to a specialist definitely solves some issues. So, um, you know, you've got transmission shops, you've got general repair shops, you have body shops, you have engine rebuilders, right? And like yeah. performance shops. Um, and then you have tuners and dynos, right? And all these are these... Uh, different business models that really specialize in something else to culminate into either a, a good, reasonable um, source of transportation or a race car. Yeah. <laughs> They've all got four wheels yeah, on them. Exactly. <laughs> They're all kind of the same. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, kind of one of the last few questions I have that's a big one, you know, obviously we know in the business there's a lot of shortage of technicians, um, but I'm sure finding somebody that's, a, you know, a transmission specialist, that's kind of a, a dime a dozen, I'm sure. It is far harder than is finding it? a technician. It, it is like it's a needle in a haystack situation, in fact. Because you guys are kind of always... Not, not a dime a dozen. It is a <laughs> okay. transmission rebuilder is like a unicorn, right? <laughs> a, a, at least a, an experienced one. Most of them are far older, are industry average, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, on industry average, they're about 15 years older than your average technician is. Oh, wow. And our average okay. technician is, what, like 44? Roughly, yeah. I yeah, I mean, say. so they're everybody's getting up there. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, definitely would say if, if you're a technician out there and, you know, it, the hard part too is a lot of these are kind of going away. So I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily, like if you're a technician out there, I wouldn't recommend that you go for being a transmission rebuilder necessarily. And that is purely from the standpoint of you still want to be very versatile with the growth of the automobile and, and the, mm-hmm. You want to be able to adapt, right, to whatever the automobile Correct. ends up being. You don't want to relegate yourself just to knowing about hydraulic automatic transmissions because the fact of the matter is they might be around for another 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. but they might not. I, I would like to think that they would because I, I think that too. truly hydraulic automatics are probably going to be there mostly for heavier-duty applications mm-hmm. just because they can hold a lot more power than the CVTs can. Um, but I think a lot of cars are going to go to CVTs almost indefinitely. Toyota's already made the move to them. You know, they are more efficient in a sense. And I think all the manufacturers are going to stick with the same paradigm of we'll just sell it to you at a reasonable rate. So that way we can keep it proprietarily ours and we don't have to let everybody know how to rebuild these things because then you'll have transmission shops popping up just for CVTs and the manufacturers don't want that. Yeah, no. And that makes sense as long as they're keeping it reasonable in that case, but I know, like that's. But cool. also, it it crushes business like th- businesses like these. Yeah, it does. You know, because that's what I know is exciting that you know we've got a younger guy down there that we we pulled from one of our other shops that is yeah, getting the opportunity yeah, to, and to learn he's, from. He's twenty eight right now, and 
He already knows how to very competently rebuild um, four and six L model GMs, uh, four and six T model GMs, the transverse, the front wheel drive ones. Mm -hmm. Um, He can competently rebuild, you know, probably I would say 50% of the transmissions he'll see on a daily basis. Of course, he's got a long way to go. Correct. But, you know, after just, you know, four months of work in there, he's already really caught on quick. Now, granted, the guy that we took in, he is very mechanically inclined. Yes. He works on his own cars. He has a show car. Yes. It's really <laughs> wicked. It's a it's a nasty prelude. He's probably known a lot about transmissions from, from breaking that thing, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, manuals. But, um, yeah, so he, he was definitely the right guy for the gig. And that being said, he's also skilled enough and adaptable enough to where if something were to happen with transmissions, he could go do something else easily. Yeah. Um, but I'm really glad he made the switch because right now, you know, for now, he is exceptionally valuable already. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that's come along pretty quickly. Um, yeah, the automatic transmission is, I also think a lot of people are afraid to go work at a transmission shop just because they don't understand it or maybe they're mm-hmm. scared that they won't be able to understand it. But it's, you know, after you're around it for a little while, it's, it's not that hard. It's basically a, a big fluid-filled case with a whole lot of drum brakes and disc brakes in it. Um, and, you know, it's... Not that, not that hard. Well, back to our, our specialist statement. I'm going to let you be that specialist, and I'm still going to pretend it's voodoo magic that voodoo goes magic. on in there. Yeah. <laughs> I always love Jeremy Clarkson's explanation of the turbocharger, right? Yes. Exhaust gases go into the turbocharger and spin it. Witchcraft, or witchcraft happens. Yeah, and, something like that. And you get more power. <laughs> um, That's what I'm going to go with as a transition. Like, I'm going to follow his philosophy on that one. And, yeah. Engine, I love it. The engine like, torque goes into the input shaft yes. and spins it. Voodoo happens. And you accelerate. Yeah, I get the engine part. That's where just it, I, I like the wheel spinning. That's all that I need to know. So I, I love calling you with like random questions where I'm like, hey, I'm going to see if Wesley knows this one yet. So I call you and I've already done my research and like you usually already know it. So I kind of get let down. I'm like, man, I thought I was going to stump him today. Nope. <laughs> you got to catch me without my cell phone too because I might just be Googling it real oh, fast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I try to be like three steps ahead of you before I call you. So. I, oh, I like funny. bugging you every once in a while. Uh, that's good. Well, I think that's about wrapped up. Uh, we yeah. actually have to hop off and get on the radio show next. Yeah, we do. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Anyway, if you guys ever want to listen, if you're in the Cincinnati area, or you can uh, do it on radio app, right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everywhere. I yeah, mean, it's, it's uh, 99.5107.9 FM in Cincinnati. It's 1480 AM in Cincinnati. The, uh, the station handle is WDJO. We do Saturdays, 10 to 11, every Saturday. It's called the Car Tech Show. I know we, we probably haven't plugged that in a little while. No, we haven't. And, yeah. and thank you, too, for, for letting me pick your brain and talk about rebending the, the yeah. voodoo magic. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <No laughs> Anytime. Doubt. Some exciting stuff, you know, something different. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for listening to the Car Tech Garage. Don't forget to uh, uh, follow our podcast yeah. and make sure you download whatever your favorite episodes are, and we will be coming out with some more content shortly. Thanks so much. Thank you.